You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our good friends at MyBookie. I am your host, Tyler, and back with me today to give you our raw, instant reactions to Georgia's epic come-from-behind win in last night's Peach Bowl. I still cannot really believe that I saw what we just witnessed but back with me is my longtime ghost, Curtis. And just a, a quick heads up here, guys, at the outset of this episode. We are recording this show earlier than we normally record our recap episodes on Sunday nights. Usually we try to push it back as late as we can on Sunday night to give us a little more time to go back and digest the game and do a little bit of deep dive and do a couple of rewatches so we can give you guys a detailed of a look into the game as we can. But we wanted, with this episode, to get it out to you as fast as we could. You know, I mean, really, guys, in the aftermath of a game like that, an instant classic, we just felt you guys would probably want us to get it out to you as quickly as we could because you know the interest level is very, very high, especially with, with a game uh, with the stakes as high as that game had. So I did want to actually record it last night. I got home. I don't know, man. I can't remember exactly what time I got home. It's all a blur. Um, 2.30-ish by the time I got home and like got a shower and all that kind of stuff. So I wanted to do it then because I was like, I didn't think I'd be able to sleep at all. But um, yeah, couldn't make that happen. My wife was very tired. She was asleep and she's an absolute saint going to the game and driving back to Athens after the game, getting home as late as we did. And she's not a... Uh, a night owl um, necessarily. I think that's probably fair to say about her. So I just didn't want to do anything to possibly remotely keep her up. And also my voice wasn't really in recording shape. I could have recorded, I guess. It just would not have sounded so great. So last night after the game did not work. And then I wanted to do it early this morning when I got up, but Curtis had some previous commitments to attend to. And I really wanted to get him on this episode so he could have his say. So we had to put off a little bit longer than maybe we originally wanted to, but it's all good. That just gave us a chance to kind of go back and get at least one quick cursory rewatch to give us a little better idea of some of the things that uh, were happening within the game that maybe you don't see when you're watching it live there in the stadium. So I think this works. We're, we're going to give you a little bit more of a raw, instant reaction than we normally do in our recap episodes. Um, that might not be as detailed with the numbers and the deep dives and the schemes because we haven't had a ton of time to do that, but uh, it's still more of a deep dive than I would have probably been prepared to do last night, so maybe it's the best of both worlds, but Curtis, man, like, let's go ahead and just dive right in, man. Let's start here. We have had some epic 
huge games over the course of this last five-year run dating back to 2017, Kirby's second year here in Athens. Where does this game, this Peach Bowl victory over Ohio State rank on your personal list of the greatest Georgia games? Let's just say of your lifetime, because you and I, like, we're, we're not necessarily young anymore, but we're not, you know, 60, 70 years old. We, haven't, we don't go back to, like, the days of Herschel. So let's just say in your lifetime, where does this Peach Bowl game rank on your list? I'm actually going to go number one. Really? Yeah. I mean, you know, everyone's comparing it to the Rose Bowl, rightfully so. Um, but the reason I don't, or the reason I give it the edge over the Rose Bowl is the fact of, I mean, it felt like we were out of it. Um, the Rose Bowl, especially in the whole second half, we were in in that game. Um, but this game we just didn't feel like curse. We were down multiple scores in that Rose Bowl game. Yeah, and I, I think this is the difference is um, the second half because we started to struggle in the second half, especially offensively, and I think that kind of almost put like a sense of like, all right, we're in the, or like we kind of felt like we were, especially when they went up 14, that's like we're out of it because you think about it, we had missed field goals, we had done all these things that kind of put us behind, and I think that was, we didn't have the momentum. The Rose Bowl, we hit that field goal before halftime, and then we come out and we just, you know, we had the momentum in the whole second half. So it felt like it was just a matter of time, but that wasn't the case in this game. Yeah, that you're right. I mean, that, that field goal right before halftime, I still go back and say that was one of the most underrated plays in Georgia football history. Not just the field goal, but Tay Crowder jumping on this little squib kick and just setting up that field goal opportunity. It's one of the greatest plays that no one really ever talks about, no one really remembers, but I will never forget that play. That was, as you mentioned, one of the turning points in that game. So you would put this ahead of the Peach Bowl. Where does the, the National Championship game from last year rank for you? I mean, National Championship, I mean, is number one in the fact that, yes, we finally got over the top. But when you're looking at the pure game from start to finish, most exciting, most roller coaster of emotions, I have to go with this game. It's hard to beat the roller coaster of emotions. That that's certainly true. Like I don't think there's a game that I can think of in my lifetime with because I, with the stakes that we had in this game. Because like we've had roller coaster games before that gone back and forth with momentum shift or from momentum shift, but they never had the stakes that this game had. So I think when you factor in like how the game played out and how exciting it was, plus the stakes, like a, a shot at the national championship still alive, I, I think you can certainly make the argument that this is number one. Honestly, I, when I was walking out of the stadium, I was saying to my wife, I was like, do we just watch the greatest Georgia football game in the history of our program? So I don't think you're crazy saying that, Chris. I certainly contemplate that myself. But the more I've thought about it over the past, not quite 24 hours or so yet, but you know, 12, 18 hours, I think I'm, I'm still going to go to the national championship number one for me. Uh, just because that was what we've been waiting 41 years for. And that was a, that was a game with momentum shifts in and of itself. There were some massive plays down the stretch for us to win that game where uh, we, we were not out of in the first half. We, we were right there, but we were in a situation in the second half where we had to make plays to win that game, and we made some of the biggest plays in Georgia football history to actually win that football game. So for me, actually win a national title, which is something I had longed for my entire life with every fiber of my being, that still has to be number one for me. I'm going to have to go with the Rose Bowl number two um, just because the reason I put the Rose Bowl ahead of the Peach Bowl, person, like I don't think you're crazy at all saying putting the Peach Bowl up there. But for me personally, the Rose Bowl, that was the first time I'd experienced a game with stakes like that. You know what I mean? Like a college football playoff game for the Georgia Bulldogs. I guess you could say the, the closest I'd had in my lifetime 
prior to that was the 2012 SEC championship game, right, against Alabama, where we fell so, so, so short, like so close, but so short there with Chris Conley going down just a couple yards short of the end zone there and missing out on that shot in the BCS national title game against Notre Dame, which is a game I think that we probably would have won. I think that was the closest in my lifetime prior to the Rose Bowl, but that was just something I had not experienced before. And the way that game played out coming back from that big first half deficit, winning overtime, Sony's touchdown, all the big plays that we made in the second half to win that one, the setting, I mean, I I didn't – that trip I think is kind of overrated because I hated – Pasadena is just like – logistically a pain in the butt to get to but like the setting being in the rose bowl the granddaddy of them all whatever like i think all that for me makes that number two behind the natty but the peach bowl certainly this 2022 peach bowl certainly a very 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 close third there but i mean i think you you can reasonably rank those three in any order you want to that's just how i would go there um but curtis let's move on here a little bit man look it might have been improbable it might have even been miraculous I, i don't think it's a stretch to call what we saw last night miraculous but some way, somehow, our beloved dogs pulled it off, man. And a common refrain that I've heard from all corners of the football universe in the past 24 hours is that, quote, Ohio State deserved to win this game. And then alternately, Georgia didn't deserve to win this game. Or maybe the dogs had no business winning it. So what do you say to that notion, Curse, that Georgia had no business winning this game? I think, I think even David Pollock himself, you know, a fa- one of the greatest Georgia Bulldogs of all time, even, I think he actually was one that said, at least I saw, had no business winning it. There are multiple other national media members out there, obviously rival fan bases out there saying that Georgia didn't deserve to win this game. What do you say to that notion? You know, I get it. And I think the thing is that when you look at it, Georgia didn't play their A game. And Ohio State played their A-plus game, in my opinion. But it also, to me, shows just how good Georgia is, though, in their own right, when we don't play our best game, and yet we win. Um, And so I think that was what stuck stuck out to me is, yes, you could say, you know, Ohio State played, you know, their A-plus game, and maybe they should have won because of that. But the, the fact of the matter is that just playing a good game is not enough. You have to win all facets of the game. And I think that the one thing Georgia has that most teams don't have is, and I think Kirby Smart has done, this is probably one of his better coaching jobs in instilling this, but is the resilience of this team. Oh yeah. hundred percent, man. hundred percent. And look, here's what I would say um, to this claim that Georgia did not deserve to win or that Ohio state did deserve to win. It's a shame they lost. I don't think it's wrong to say Ohio state deserved to win. I think both teams deserve to win. I think both things can be true. You see games like that sometimes where it's like, damn, man, it's a shame that somebody has to lose this game. I think this is one of those games. Now, you're right. I get where the the concept comes from, the notion comes from in people's minds. It, it, you're exactly right. It comes from, from the fact that we, we clearly did not play to our standard. Like, I don't know what, like, however you grade it, however you want. You played our C game, played a B minus game, played a D game, like whatever. Like we did not play our A game for sure, however you want to grade it out. And Ohio State, I, I agree with you, Curtis. I do think they played about as well as they could in this game. Like you could clearly tell, this is one of the things I was trying to get across to you guys in, in the lead up to this game. It's like, like, yeah, they're going to be fired up. I told you guys, like, this is a, this is, these are the two best teams in the country. Like I, I, I felt very strongly about that, especially the setup with Ohio State lost to Michigan and they wanted to make amends for that loss. And they had a month to stew on that. It was very similar to how we all felt going into the Michigan game last year in the orange bowl. We all remember that. So I knew that we were gonna get their best shot. At least I felt like we were very likely get their best shot. I thought they were come out with their backs against the wall with nothing to lose. And that's exactly how they played. And I got to give Ryan day credit. I'm not a big Ryan day fan, but he had this team prepared. And I do believe they played about as well as they could. So I get where it comes from. 
And I don't disagree in some, when someone's saying that Ohio State, God, man, like they deserve to win this game. It sucks that a team that played as well as they did had to lose this game. I get that. I don't have a problem with someone saying that. Where I do have a bit of an issue, and like I don't really care. People say whatever the hell you want. I don't care, man. We won the game. We're going to the natty. But what I do have an issue with is saying that Georgia did not deserve to win. My my response to that would be, of course, if we did not deserve to win, then how in the hell did we do it? You know, like no, it wasn't that I Ohio State gave us this game. The Ohio State did not give us this game because you those things are mutually exclusive. You cannot sit here and say Ohio State played the best game they could possibly play, play this A plus game, and then sit there and say, oh well, they gave the game to Georgia. Those two things cannot be true at the same time. This game was not given to us. We did not play our best. No, we did not. But we went out and we earned that win. We made the plays. No one made those plays for us. Our players went out and made the plays when they had to make it, when the lights are the brightest and it mattered the most. So don't tell me that our players not deserve to win this game. Get the hell out of here with that. I don't know, man. I, I, I know that's a little strong, but like, do you not feel a little bit of the same way there? No, I do because, I mean, if your argument is Georgia didn't deserve to win it, then if, that, if you truly believe that, then neither did Ohio State if they let us win the game when we didn't deserve to. Exactly. That, that's my point. It's like, look, you can't sit here and say Ohio State deserved to win the game, but Georgia didn't, and yet we won the game, and sit here and say, well, you know, Ohio State made too many mistakes down the stretch. No, that, that's not what happened. We went out and we made the plays. That's, that, that's what happened. We made the plays. They played extraordinarily well. And I want to see here, I want to give Ohio State a lot of credit, Curtis. That team played their tails off, man. Like, they played extraordinarily well. C.J. Stroud, I mean – I don't want to say an all time, it's not an all time performance, but that dude came out and he did just about everything that he could possibly do. That was an incredible performance by CJ Stroud. The receivers played very well. Got to give Ohio State a lot of credit. I think, I think their coaching staff had a really good game plan coming into the game. We'll get into more of the details here in a few minutes, at least a little bit to some degree. But I think their coaching staff had a really good game plan. They played well, man. And, and I, again, I don't have a problem with someone saying they deserve to win. I just have a problem with the inverse. Somebody saying that Georgia did not deserve to win but Kurt, let's move on a little bit more here man so one of the things i try to get across you you and i were talking about this in the um in our preview episode curtis right before the i guess two days before the game and one of the things i kept saying over and over and to the point that i feel like man i, I think i probably need to stop repeating myself because i keep saying it over and over again but i was trying to get it across to everyone and that was that this game was going to have very small margins i felt like the we had the talent edge in this game because we recruit better, but it's a it's a marginal talent edge, right? Like it's not like we're playing, you know, like when we face them in South Carolina or we play Kentucky, like we just have a significant talent edge almost every week during the regular season. When you get in the playoffs, it's a team like this against Ohio State who does recruit a top three, top five level year in year out. We did have the talent edge, but it was a marginal talent edge. So I felt there was a very small there were small margins all across this game. I, I felt we had the edge in most of the situations, most of the spots on the field, but very very small margins. But at the end of the day, Curtis, even though the, those margins were very small, like I anticipated, what was the difference in how this game ultimately played out? Um, I think, it's, to me, I think the biggest thing is the – I kind of touched on it earlier, but I think the resilience of this team. You know, this team has – you go back to Missouri, um, and they had the – you know, they were put in some tough situations and yet they responded um, in those games when their backs have been against the wall. And I think that was the, the difference in this game, the fourth, you know, I even heard at halftime or at the start of the third quarter, they asked Kirby smart um, what he said to his team. And one of the things was win the fourth quarter. Well, that's what we did. We won the fourth quarter and that's how we won the game. And you go back to the Alabama game, the national championship last year, we won the fourth quarter. And that I think is simple. It is really what was the difference in this game. 
Yeah, Curtis, you mentioning the fourth quarter, win the fourth quarter. That's something that you and I talked about on our preview episode last week, the tail end of the week, that we felt if we could get this game in the fourth quarter and be within striking distance, that we had an edge in the fourth quarter, primarily related to Ohio State's depth on defense, right? And I, I will say, I thought it would play out differently. When I was talking about that, I don't want to speak for you, Curtis, and I was talking about how like I felt if we got in the fourth quarter with a lead or if we were within striking distance that we could take over this game the way that Michigan did. I think Michigan outscored them 21-3 to in, in, the in the fourth quarter of that game uh, about a month or a month or so ago, and we outscored them 18-3 to in this game. But I felt that if it was close enough that that's where our running game, we'd start to lean on them because they don't have as much depth up front. They don't rotate as much as we do in their front seven. And even though they might stone us early in the game they didn't, like they did Michigan in the run game, if we just stuck with it we were close enough and we were having like just throw the ball every down, that we could run the ball down their throw and just create some some big explosive plays in the run game like, like you saw Michigan do. That's not exactly how it played out. We did win the fourth quarter, and I do think debt started to play a role in that. As, uh, as we got into the late portions of the game. But it wasn't that we were running the ball down their throat. We were we were still throwing the ball, Curtis, and we were doing that, obviously, with Stetson Bennett at the helm. So I, speaking of Stetson Bennett, we'll talk more about him in a minute. I think one of the differences in how this game played out, and I don't want to take anything away from C.J. Stroud. I do not. That guy is a, is a warrior, man. That dude is incredibly talented. I told you guys coming to the game that he was I, – I felt like he's the best passer that we have – like pure passer – that we have seen in the Kirby Smart tenure. And I think that was on full display and why I was saying that. I think we saw that on, I guess, last night. I think we all saw that. Um, and he used his legs more than, we'll get that in a minute too, more than he I'd, I'd ever seen him use. Uh, that was clearly part of their game plan. And so no, no offense to C.J. Stroud. He was incredible. But we just have a winner at quarterback, Curtis. We have a dude that is just built differently, who can play poorly for, for stretches of a game, but when it matters the most, at this point, Curtis, I don't know if there's a quarterback in the country I want with the ball in his hands more than I do Stetson Bennett. He's just built differently, man. Like I don't even know how to say it. I just don't know. How, it's kind of like Todd Munkin, Ash after the game. He's like, I don't know what to say, man. I don't. I don't know how to describe it. He just. He, he just has it. Whatever that it is, he's got it, and that's what Stetson Bennett has. So that's a that was a big part of it in the fourth quarter. I also think, oh, you were saying, Curtis, like the resiliency. It's what I call a championship pedigree. You know what I mean? Yeah, we've been there. We've done it, and that's one of the things I said last week too. Is like. One of the edges I felt that we had in this game was that we've been there, we've done that. Look, I know Ohio State's played in big games before. I know it hadn't been that long. It was it 2020? They played in the national championship game against, against Alabama, right? So some of those players are still on this team. A lot of them, not as much. But the fact is, they had not played in as many big, meaningful games with these kind of moments, the bright spotlights as this team has, the players on our team have as a whole over the past two years. They just have not. And what I said last week, and I, and I kind of played out, there's a difference between knowing you can step up big and make those plays in the big moments and the biggest moments and, and like thinking you can. And I think you saw our players, a group of guys that know that they can make plays when they've got to make plays in the biggest moments, that championship pedigree, that resiliency, as you mentioned, it's shown through it. I think that's ultimately why we won this game. Again, no offense to Ohio state. They played awesome. Again, I go back to that. I, they, they can, they deserve to win. Sure. You can, you can say that, but at the end of the day, we just have that championship pedigree, and we're just built differently. You can, you can say that about quarterback, I think our entire team, we are just built differently. I think that was ultimately why we were able to pull away and win this game. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. 
Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. McCurr, let's get into the actual game. We, we've done a lot of big picture talk at this point in the, in the show. Let's try to dive into a little bit. We obviously try and give you more of our raw, instant reactions here on this episode. We, uh, I got a chance to go again, go through like a, a quick little rewatch of the game, but not as much of a deep dive as I normally do for these recap episodes. Just didn't have a chance for that yet, but enough to at least give you some more details of what was actually going on in this game. Because I don't know if, if this is one of those things where in the moment as a fan, I think I'm guilty of this. Sometimes I'm like watching a game in the moment and I, I go back and I rewatch it afterwards. Like when I'm kind of detached from the moment, detached from the game a little bit. And um, I'm like, oh, well, like, it wasn't as bad as I thought, right? Like, it's never as good as you think it was or as bad as you thought it was. So I think sometimes when you just, when you're in the moment watching a game, especially a game with, with the stakes as high as that game had, I think you kind of just feel everything more than you do when you're like watching two teams that you don't really care about. And so maybe things get blown up in your mind. Maybe that's the case here with me. But at least for most of that game, Curse, it felt like to me our defense was on its heels for, for large swaths of this game. So why was it that we were having so much trouble defending Ohio State for big portions of this football game? Um, I mean, I think it came down to missed assignments, um, good receivers and good play calling and just making things happen. I mean, I saw where Kirby Smart said we tried the man press, we tried zone, we tried it all, and they were still making things happen. So, I mean, you know, you have to give the respect to Ohio State and not put it all on um, – you know, say it was a fluke or something, because I think they had a good game plan. You think back to that touchdown right before the end of the first half where they get the matchup they wanted. I think they had a, a good game, and then we had some breakdowns, and um, realistically, they have some great receivers. I mean, Ohio State is known as a pass – or you know, I mean, they can run the ball too, but we took that away from them. But realistically, they have great receivers. It's, it's as simple as that, and they won a lot of the matchups. Yeah, I mean, Curtis, 100%, man. I and you and I talked about that you know, last week in our preview episode, that, that final episode that we did. And I, the question I asked you was, what matchup concerns you most in this game? And you did not hesitate. It was the receivers, right, Curtis? Yeah. And that's exa- and that's what we were talking about, guys. Like, like we weren't making that up. I mean, I, I spent the past two weeks talking about it. Curtis identified it on that, on that preview episode. 
mean, there's a reason we were telling you like, these guys are legit and it's a concern for us. Like we're the more talented team, but overall 135, but sometimes you have matchups like that, especially against the secondary that struggled as much as we did against LSU and, and struggled at times down the stretch. Um, and had, like, we, we played well in the secondary most of the year, but I don't think Curtis, like, is it a stretch to say that we don't have elite, elite cover guys? Like we can say that with a straight I do. face, right? I, I think, yeah, absolutely. Ringo can, he's good except against more shifty players, which is kind of what Ohio State has. Um, you think back to Bullard, you know, he's a bulldog when it comes into making plays and tackles, but he's not great in coverage. And so I think that realistically in our secondary, that, that's probably their biggest weakness. I, I do agree. Um, I would also, I think it's one of our biggest weaknesses. I think getting pressures, the, you know, with the natural yeah. pass rushers is our, yeah. is our other weakness there. I would, I would counter that and say, you're not wrong in saying that. I would just counter by saying, I, I think that's just what you see at all levels of football now. I think the way the offenses have evolved and the way the rules have changed over the past 10, 15 years to favor offenses and to really take away defense, defenses and their ability to defend receiver, elite receivers. Um, I, I just think if you have elite receivers, even if you have awesome cornerbacks and awesome cover guys, they're not going to be able to cover them consistently. You know what I mean? I think, yeah, I think the game I mean, has I changed think- too much. And that's why I think favorite. pressure is is the big thing. Like, how do how do you counteract that? Well, you pressure them, right? Like, how do we beat Tennessee? How do we completely take away their game plan and, and what they want to do offensively? How do we shut them down? We pressured them, right? It wasn't that it wasn't that Keely Ringo was any better against Tennessee? Like, I know he made that interception; it was a nice play, but like, he was still the same guy that he was on Saturday night. Like, but we pressured Tennessee in that game. We pressured Hinton Hooker in a way that we were not really able to against Ohio State and really against LSU for a large portion of that game as well. And to me, that that was the difference here. You know, I think I'm not saying we didn't get pressure at all. We did. Like we got some pressure. We had four sacks in the game. Like we got some pressure. But the problem is, we have to scheme it up to get pressure. We do not have any natural edge rushers. Like we don't have anybody on the edge right now. Like maybe Michael Williams. Like he's the closest we've got to it. He's still a freshman. He can do it sometimes, but he's just not. A consi- he's still not a, a consistently explosive edge rusher right now. And he's a five tech guy. Like in our in our scheme, the five tech is not really a premier pass rusher. It's supposed to be the outside linebackers with Nolan Smith going down. And that's why Curtis, you, you and I were talking about this, you know, going back to the Florida game, almost it seemed like every single week just harping on it. Because I felt like at some point we played a better team that, that had very comparable talent to our level of talent, like Ohio State does, that could be a problem for us. And we saw that last night. It was a problem. We have no natural edge rushers. We just don't. So if we get pressure, we've got to bring guys. We've got to scheme it up. And so when you do that, you, you can say, okay, well, if we want to bring the linebackers, which is what usually when we're getting, when we're getting pressure now, Curse, it's like we're bringing the linebackers or we're doing some twisting thing up front. We're getting Jalen Carter matched up one-on-one in a favorable matchup. But if we bring a linebacker and only rush four, what that means is we have to drop someone in coverage. So we're dropping somebody on the defensive line. And whether it's Michael Williams, whether it's Robert Beal, whether it's Chaz Chambliss, who also went down with an injury, but we're dropping somebody to coverage who's not really a natural cover guy. who could be a liability back there. And then if we bring more than four, then we usually have to play man behind that. Most of the time, you're usually playing man free behind that. And when we did that, Kurt, because we had to do that, because we don't have natural pass rushers. We just don't have natural edge rushers. Like Jalen Carter's the closest thing that we've got. He's an interior guy, but edge rushers, I would say Michael and then Jalen. But outside of that, we just don't have those guys. So, yeah, we had, we had to try to bring more than four at times, and we had to play man coverage behind that. And when we did, they carved us up in man coverage. And it's exactly what you were saying, Kurt. Why did they carve us up in man coverage? Because they have elite wide receivers, and we don't have elite cover guys. We have good cover guys. Like Ringo's a really good player. Kamari Laster's a really good player. Uh, you know, Chris Smith, great player, 
Malachi Starks, great player, love Javon Bullard, but they're not elite cover guys. And even if they were, like I was saying, like, I, it doesn't matter. If you have elite wide receivers, it doesn't matter how, how good your cover guys are in this day and age. It's just a different game. And, and the receivers are going to win the vast majority of the time. Like, but we're just not, we weren't getting enough pressure consistently in this game. Curse. Like those deep crossers, those deep crossing patterns that kept hitting on us, especially in the second half, those only happen when the quarterback has time. And we told you, Curtis, we told everybody out there that, if C.J. Stroud was going to sit back there in a clean pocket, he was going to dice us up. And that is what happened for most of this game. But I do want to give Ohio State and Ryan Day a lot of credit here with their game plan. They did a really good job of throwing on standard downs and off of play action. They really even tried to run the ball in this game. I know that the top two running backs were out for most. Like, obviously, Trayvon Henderson not playing this game. Mayan Williams played a little bit in the first half, and he couldn't really go at all really in the second half. Had that early touchdown in the first half. But – and maybe that was a part of why they were throwing the ball as much as they did on standard downs, on early downs, first and second downs. But they did a good job of doing that and also throwing off play action. And the reason I think that was a wise decision schematically for them is that you guys know, you watch it. We play run first in our front seven, especially our, our defensive front. We are a run for – like we want to stop the run in the front seven, right? That's that's kind of been the key of our defense. And we are going to – work always going to overcompensate there off of play action. And then once we do read that it's passed, we're, we don't convert to pass rush very well at all. I think Ohio State saw that with the extra time that they had with the film study leading up to this game. And they had a really, really, really good game plan. I also think they did a really good job of moving Stroud outside the pocket and moving his launching point, rolling him, booting him, doing different things, doing some naked stuff with him at times. And I think that was just a fantastic game plan on Ohio State's part. And another part of the game plan, clearly Curtis, C.J. Stroud's legs are a part of the game plan because I don't I, – I, I think that Ryan Day and company, they did not think that we would account for it, and I didn't think we would account for it either because we, we told you, Curtis, like we said here last week, we told everyone, Stroud doesn't run the ball. Like if you – and guys, we weren't lying about that. Like if you watched him all year – I went back and watched basically every game they played this year to, to prepare for this, this game, and he has an aversion to running. Like all year long, this guy like would just refuse to run the ball. Clearly in this game, they told him, dude, you've got to make plays to your legs. You've got to make things happen. I think they were gambling on the fact that they did not anticipate us preparing for him to run the football. We were not going to assign somebody to mirror or spy him the way that we do a guy like like Jane Daniels against, you know, against LSU in the SEC championship game. So, you know, they, they did some design QB run stuff with, they did some zone read stuff with him. Um, They did, he obviously scrambled that. God, that scramble on that final drive curse my heart. I mean, I died, I think, a couple times maybe in that game, but especially on that last drive when he broke that one off. I thought it was over. I thought it was over. But And then also, like, when we did get pressure, Curtis, like, there were times where we did get some pressure. And when we did, we too often lost contain. And this is what I go back to. Here's why I think that happened. Against mobile quarterbacks like Jane Daniels, and, a lot, and we've played a lot of mobile quarterbacks this year. I feel like more than half of the teams we played have had mobile quarterbacks we usually have a spy to account for that quarterback. And we you, we always use more of like a controlled mush rush kind of pass rush to keep the quarterbacks in the pocket, those, those mobile guys. We did not do that in this game because, again, Stroud, what he has shown on tape all year is that he has this aversion to running the football. The dude just wouldn't do it all year long. So we gave, it looked like we gave Jalen Carter and our pass rushers a little bit more freedom to go out there and just like rush the passer and, and like with reckless abandon, like don't worry about keeping contained because CJ Stroud's not going to break contain. He's not going to run the ball even if he does. And that backfired on us at various points in this game because again, very clearly they told him, dude, if you get a chance, take off. Use your legs, pick up whatever yards you can against this defense. They're probably not going to count for you in this game because they got so much to worry about with our playmakers on the outside. They they don't want to have to worry about you. So you could be a difference maker. And it, he almost was, Chris. He almost was. His legs were almost the difference in this game. So I don't know, man. Um, 
it they had a, it was a combination of really good game playing by them, and as you were talking about, I think also just elite skill players, especially out wide for Ohio State. But Curtis, you know, um, every Georgia fan's heard this almost immediately after the game, the aftermath of the game. It did not take long for the haters to come out of the woodwork claiming that Georgia once again got lucky because another opponent's best player went down. This time, of course, that being Marvin Harrison Jr., who had five catches for 106 yards and two touchdowns before getting knocked out of the game by a flat-out vicious hit by Javon Blurt at the very, very end of the third quarter. So first off, Curse, how much did that actually change the outcome of this game? I mean, to me, I don't really – you know, I even saw a, it was a headline on ESPN where Day was like, oh, it really impacted us. But I don't believe that as much because the thing, the reason I say that is, I mean, yes, it was another guy for us to to um, try to game plan for, but realistically, he didn't have a catch out outside of the first quarter. Yeah, he had a huge first quarter. He had a huge yeah. first quarter, and he was – I don't want to say non-existent, but he was not making those same level plays the next quarter and a half or so. No, and I mean that's what I'm saying. Like, yes, it would have probably been another guy for us to count for, which we have to, which is always a factor. But the fact is, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't existent really the second, third quarter. Here's and, 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 I, in response to, I mean, shoot, we're without Darnell, Nolan, exactly. all these people. Of course, our right tackle didn't play a snap in this game. Our starting right tackle, Warren McClendon, did not play one snap. Yeah, three-year starter. Lad McConkey, who's been our best receiver all year was on one leg, maybe even half a leg. Like, that dude was just gritting it. You could say he was, like, just limping. Like, the entire game just limping out there. And we're supposed to feel bad for, for Ohio State. I feel bad for Marvin Harrison Jr. I don't want the guy to be hurt. I don't want him, anyone to have a concussion. That sucks. But, like, why don't we talk about that? You know, that, that's always, that was my thing last year with, with the, the Alabama receivers going down. Sure, like, the other receivers went down. That I'm not going to put my head in the sand and say they didn't. That doesn't factor in the game, the outcome of the game. I'm not going to put my head in the sand and say that Marvin Harrison Jr. going out doesn't factor in the outcome of the game. Sure, of course it does. We know what else factored in the outcome of the game. Darnell Washington not playing basically three quarters of this game. Warren McClendon not playing a snap. Lad McConkie, our best receiver, being on one leg out there. Like, come on, guys. Like, they are the only team that had injuries, that had attrition. So, and it's okay, Curtis. Like, this is just what this is what haters do. You know, they're going to find whatever possible ammunition they can to try to poke holes in you because they just can't face the fact that oh yeah. My team isn't as good as your team. And that's just what it comes down to. So, again, I'm just going to smile and laugh and give them a thumbs up because I don't care. We won the game. But, you know, it's 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 comical, you know, when people do that because that's part of the game too, Curse. Like, you know, part of being the better team is having more better players, right? Like, is that, is yeah, that I mean, a stretch today? No, especially at this time of the year and in this sport, it's a game of attrition. Yeah, like everyone is banged up, and that's what makes you a better – that's one of the things that can make you a better team is that you just have more good players than the other team. So if one of your good players goes out, oh, we have another good player that can also go make plays. I'm sorry, Ohio State, you don't feel like you had those players. We had guys go down too. You know what? We had guys like Oscar Delp step up. We had guys like Arian Smith come in and pick up the slack for Lab McConkie and make plays for us. That's what good teams do. That's why we are a better team. And when we talk about we have better depth, and that's a factor in this game, that's what we're talking about. So, no, I'm not going to put my head in the sand and sit here and say that Marvin Harrison Jr. going out like just didn't factor into the outcome at all. Of course it did. But, you know, what would the score have been if Darnell doesn't get hurt? Because, of course, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say Darnell is like, I don't know if I can say he's quite as important to us as Marvin Harrison Jr., but he's also like not that much less important. If you think about what we do offensively, Curse, and how we structure our offense and what he does for us in the run game and our 12 personnel and creating mismatches, Darnell is incredibly important to our offense, and like we need him back against TCU. Like he'd be a major factor in that game. So we'll see how that plays out. 
But him going out is no small thing for us. And to, to, to just trivialize that and brush off, say, oh, it's, it's not as important as Ohio State losing Marvin Harrison Jr. I, I yeah. would argue like, it's, one, not, one, it's not that much different. One thing that bothered me the most is, you know, Herb Street didn't have as much bias as I mean, people may have thought. But the one thing that bothered me is the excuses he kept making that Ohio State lost Marvin Harrison Jr., lost um, the tight end. The tight end. But never once. Yeah, but never once acknowledged, oh, we just lost Darnell. Our best outside linebacker has been out since October. I mean, all he could talk about was how Brock Bowers just was a a no-show in the second half. That's all he could talk about. Yeah, and and he kept making all those excuses for Ohio State. And I'm like, that was one of the things that bothered me. It's kind of like what you've been hearing in the media. Like you said, oh, once again, they win because the player gets hurt. No, we won even though we had multiple players hurt, including very important players. Yeah, 100%, man. It's just what haters do. It's fine. Let them do their thing. It's just, I, th- you know, I used to think it under my skin. Now I just kind of laugh at it, but I also don't want to sit here and just let it happen and not respond to it. So, yeah, just, I feel like we had to at least address that to some degree here. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Um, all right, Curtis, uh, I've been saving this for, for late in the show here. Got a couple more things we want to talk about, and then we'll get out of here. But we got to talk about Stetson Bennett, man. We've touched on it a little yeah. bit, but Curtis, um, fair or not, over the past couple of years, you have developed a reputation among our listeners as a bit of a Stetson Bennett hater at times. And so we had quite a few listeners message us in the aftermath on social media wondering about your take on Stetson's play last night. So, Kurt, I'm just going to put it to you, my friend. What did you make of Stetson's game last night? Um, I thought it was great. Um, I, you know, he, even, he acknowledged, you know, for about 30 minutes he didn't play well. Um, and I don't know if I put that all on him as sometimes I didn't feel like the play calling was best, especially in the third quarter where um, our offense started struggling a little bit. I thought we should have tried to get him out of the pocket more instead of keeping him in the pocket. But, um, you know, especially you look back at his fourth quarter stat line. Um, I think he, I saw he had a perfect passer rating. He um, 10 of 12. Made, yep. perfect passer yeah, rating. he 
threw for almost 200 yards in the – I think he, he threw for just under 200 yards in the fourth quarter. 190. Two big, yep. Yeah, two big touchdowns. Um, You know, he showed up and made big plays when we needed him. You know, the, of course, no quarterback is perfect. I mean, think back to that first drive, he probably, should, he probably shouldn't have pulled it and left it with Kenny. Um, and, you know, there were some mistakes, but the fact is I thought he played really, really well and stepped up the most when we needed him, and that's what you need from someone who's been around this long as your leader. And I think that, you know – I, I'm very appreciative that we had him. And, you know, I, I mean, and I'll be honest, I'm probably one of those people that in the past have said, you know, we're going to lose some of these bigger games because the teams are going to have the advantage in the um, quarterback position. But you know what? I got to give him credit because he proved me wrong. And, you know, I'll be the first to admit when I was wrong. Yeah, very well said, my friend. Very, very well said there. You're right. He was not perfect. In fact, I think Stetson was very up and down in this game. He started off very hot. Um, by my calculations, he was nine of his first 10 the first half. Clearly, I thought we might try to run the ball a bit more than we did open the game, but clearly our game plan was to come out and throw the football. And I wasn't altogether surprising to me because I do feel I, – I felt like coming to the game, so I think that's what I said on the, on the preview show, was it kind of depends on how Ohio State comes out defending us. Do they do what they did against Michigan? Do they play more of what Tech and um, and – Kentucky did to us and they did a little bit of both. Um, they try to, you know, keep us honest. They tried to mix things up on us, but they were not nearly as aggressive trying to defend us with guys in the box at, at like a like within six yards line of scrimmage as they were against Michigan. So I think that was part of why we were trying to throw the ball maybe a little bit more. Um, I don't know. It's it interesting. They defended us in a way I hadn't seen them defend a lot of teams um, through many parts of the year. But anyway, um, he was hot. Nine was first 10 before that interception. But then he went from the 149 mark in the second quarter to 18 seconds left. So over a full quarter of football, Curtis or 18 seconds left in the third quarter, I should say. So it is a full quarter of football there before he completed another pass from 149 in the second quarter to 18 seconds in the third quarter, no passes completed. But then, as you said, 10 of 12, 190 massive yards, two humongous touchdowns in one of the greatest fourth quarter performances by a Georgia Bulldog, I think, in program history, at least in my lifetime. But no, he was I think that's one of the best fourth quarter performances in all of college football. I don't even think you have to say Georgia football. Actually, Curtis, I'm not going to argue with him. I think that's I think that's very fair to say. I'm especially coming from a noted Stetson Bennett hater. I think, hey, that you you just said it, man. But you're right though. He wasn't perfect. The the, the God that first quarter where he on that first drive where he pulled his own read and that was probably a walk in touchdown for Kenny or a very big gain. That's a bad read. Um, the interception was terrible. Now he's in a little bit of pressure there and. He panked a little bit, it seemed like, which is not something you see Stetson do very often. But uh, we had the wheel route. I think the wheel route, if he would have waited a, a, just a beat longer, I think that wheel was going to be open. And we might hit a big explosive play there. But he throws the pick there, just really bad underthrow. Um, I think on the next drive, it was the play where he threw the ball beyond the line of scrimmage, got the illegal forward pass. He should have just run it there. And that wasn't like a game-changing play, but it was a mistake. Um, the throw to Lad McConkey before the half that almost got picked, that ball can't throw be thrown. The throw to Lad in the, um, where we had to yep. settle for the field goal. Yeah, we're like two plays after Brock's fourth down conversion, right? Yeah. And Curtis, I, I don't know if you saw this. Kirby said after the game, that wasn't even – that throwing to Ladd wasn't even an option in that play. Like, Ladd is just a decoy there. And Stetson inexplicably decided, I'm going to throw it to Ladd. And it's like, what? And, you, you, and I don't know if you saw it, Curtis. I watched on the replay. As soon as he threw the ball, did you see Stetson, like, just fall to the ground, basically? Like, oh, my God, what did yeah. I just do? Like, he knew it yeah. immediately. As soon as the ball left his hand, he knew it immediately. He's like, oh, my God, what did I just do? So he was not perfect, okay? Not perfect, but this is what I'm talking about. When I said earlier, Stetson's built differently. As poorly as he played at times in this game, early in the game, when we needed this guy the most, he's done. he did what he's done his entire career, Curtis. He showed up, and he showed up in a big way because that dude is a freaking winner. We will, we're going to have more talented quarterbacks to play at the University of Georgia. We will. But you know what, Curtis? We will never have another quarterback like Stetson Bennett. 
We will never have a guy like that again. I mean, I I, I I know never is a strong word, but I don't know, man. I don't know if we'll ever have a guy that's built that way ever again. Like this is, I think he's a once in a lifetime type dude for the Georgia Bulldogs. And I'm getting emotional just saying that because I love the guy. So God, I love the man. So just unbelievable, unbelievable. You know, Kurt, I've, have you ever seen the movie Major League Two? Oh, yeah. Okay. So if, if for those of you who know who've seen it, if you know, you know. But if you haven't seen it, just – Hear me here. So, Kurt, you know, so, you know, uh, I think his name's Tonka, the, the Japanese baseball player in that, in that movie, right? Yeah, so, him and uh, Pedro and Serrano. Serrano have their thing. Yeah, Serrano's the big like, home run hitter guy, the big basher. And Serrano's yeah. like, you know, taking this peaceful, he's, he's like the voodoo guy. Now he's like doing this like peace and love, like hippie kind of thing. And Tonka earlier in the movie tells him, like, he goes, you got no marbles, right? And like basically talking about, you know, you know what, like you're junk, right? Yeah. And so late in the game, I, I was in the playoffs, big game, whatever, like in a decisive game. Serrano hits this massive home run, this big moment. What does Serrano do? He does like the monkey, big ball, or sorry, big marbles dance down the first baseline to Tonka. And in the fourth quarter, that's all I could see in my brain was Stetson Bennett doing the Serrano big marbles dance down the first baseline. Like that's I mean, it felt, like, it felt well, it felt like the South Carolina thing, um, where this, you know, South Carolina gets Tennessee. We just dropped he Stetson just dropped him. Dropped it. Absolutely, man. Absolutely, dude. All right. Uh, real quick, Kurt. I know we all get out of here in a minute, but uh, in a game full of massive momentum shifting plays and moments, let's give it a quick shot here, ranking the biggest plays, biggest moments of this game. Kurt, so if you had, give me a top three here. Let's try to rank them. One, two, three. What were the three biggest plays in this game that ultimately decide the outcome? Okay. Number three is probably going to be, I think, the past Arian Smith. Okay. Um, so the, the, the one where the, where the DB fell down, where he made him basically yeah, made him fall one, down because so fast, and the guy got turned around. Yeah, the reason I go with that play is because it was just a, such a quick score and allowed us to get back in it. Um, you know, After I was that worried. Field, yeah. yeah, I was. Well, I was. I was worried that you know, it, if it took had been a couple minute long drive, it you know we're put in a lot different position. Um, number two, I go with Brock getting the first down on that short pass play. It's on my list. And then number one, I think it was the play of the game was Kirby Smart calling timeout. Interesting. I was wondering what you were going to say on the yeah the 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 greatest timeout in the history of timeouts, maybe. You yeah, know? someone who, um, especially coming from Kirby, who people are always like, oh, he's so bad with the clock, or so bad yeah. with those situations. Um, to he me, might have gotten that call down from the from the booth, maybe. But he also maybe just saw something out there himself, and I haven't heard definitively there. Maybe somebody else says I haven't, uh, and just call a timeout. But still, maybe the greatest timeout in in college football history, like unbelievable. Um, that's not on my list, okay. Here's why, Curtis. I think that play would have been overturned because I don't know if you saw. They had twelve players. I've heard. Out. I've heard they were saying there were twelve players. There, yeah. Go back and count. There's twelve guys on the field, and that is reviewable. So, and maybe they wouldn't have reviewed it. Like maybe they, if they would have gotten it, they wouldn't have reviewed it. Maybe they wouldn't have. But there's a good chance they would have reviewed that and overturned it. So, I think in retrospect, the timeout might not have actually ended up being as important as it would have been if they didn't have 12 guys on the field. If they didn't have 12 guys on the field, it, it would be number one for me because the game is probably over. If they, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's hard to say it's completely over, but very difficult for us to win that game if that happens there. So that's why they didn't quite make my list, but I'm not going to argue because that was just an incredible, incredible timeout by Kirby. Just, I don't think young Kirby makes that call. I don't. So I think this guy's grown and developed and improved as a coach. And I mean, as, he's, he's always been an awesome coach, but like as a game time coach, just a great play there. So for me, I would go action number one. I go number three, uh, the pop Dumas Johnson sack on second and five from our 18 yard line. 
Um, Chris, that's what we held them to the field goal there, right? Yeah. If they score a touchdown, we don't win the game. If they score a touchdown on that drive, we don't win the game. It's just that simple. Because they're, they're up three scores. They're up three scores. I think that's that fair. Yeah, they're up three scores. That that holds them to a field goal, and it gives us a chance there. Um, and, like, they again, second and five from our 18. I think it was Stroud scrambles on first down, gets five yards. Our 18-yard line, we're on our heels again. Like, we were, like, like, I felt like the entire game, Pop comes up with a massive sack. We didn't get a lot – I don't think we got enough consistent pressure. When we did get pressure, we had to manufacture it like that. But, hey, whatever it took, man, we got it, and that was a huge play. I think it was, like, a 12-yard line, put it back on the 30-yard line, somewhere around there. Huge play. That was number three for me. Number two, I'm going to say the board hit on Harrison. He was not going to catch the ball anyway. If you if you go back and watch the replay in slow motion, he was already dropping the ball. So I don't think that dislodged the ball. But I think I do think knocking Harrison out of the game was an impactful play for us. I, I do think he's a big-time player, and you never know what's going to happen if he's in the game in the fourth quarter. You don't know. So I think that was a big play. It was, it was a very, very clean hit. I don't want to hear anyone talk about targeting. That was textbook clean hit. And then for number one for me is Brock fourth and six, Curse. If we don't convert there, I think the game's probably over. Like if we don't get points in that drive. I think I don't think we win the game. I mean, well, heck, we won by one point. So if we don't get points in that drive, we don't win the football game. And that was just an incredible effort by Brock Bowers. Brock been doing his yoga, man, because I don't know how you like doing this matrix stuff. I don't know how you get that, man. Just unbelievable effort by Brock. And thank God they they reviewed that. Um, all right, Kurt, real quick, here, man, I know you gotta get out of here. Um, I'm just gonna let you get out of here on this, man. Give me uh, what's new game balls, real quick. Give me three players you're gonna give your game balls to for the top performances of the game. Um, I have to go with Stetson, no question. Um, I think I'm going to go with Arian Smith, someone who's been hurt for so long, comes back, gets over 100 yards receiving. That was huge. And then um, lastly, the problem is I want to go defense, but there wasn't. I got nobody on defense on my list. um, A.D. Mitchell? Yeah, I think I'm going to go Kenny Mack, though. Okay. That's a good call. Good call with Kenny Over Mack. Over 100 yards, all purpose. All purpose yards. Good call. The, you know, and getting the, we have got, the, got him the ball out of the backfield, which is where he's been his most. I mean, he's a great runner, too, but he's been lethal for us out of the backfield as a receiver. We got obviously that first touchdown on that screen pass, that kind of tunnel screen that we run. Um, yeah, Kenny Mack's just an awesome player, dude. Love that guy. And he's been a monster for us all year long. Great call there. On my list here, Curse, the game balls that I want to give out, I agree with you, obviously, on Stetson Bennett. He's at the top of my list. Again, wasn't perfect. Had stretches this game where he did not play well, and he actually put us in, in bad situations and bad spots at times. But when we needed Stetson the most, when we had to have it, Stetson did what Stetson does in big games, and that is just make play after play after play. I mean, how many iconic plays in Georgia football history has this guy now been a part of? How many iconic moments in Georgia football history has this guy now been a part of? It's unbelievable, man. It really is, and I do not use that word lightly. It's truly unbelievable to think where Stetson came from back in 2017 to what this man has done now. It's it's unbelievable. I also had Arian Smith on my list of game ball recipients. This guy, it's it's crazy, Curtis. This guy, in his career here in Athens, three years on campus, has 11 catches, 11 catches for his career. He has four touchdowns on those 11 catches. More than a third of his receptions have gone for touchdowns, and he has never had a bigger game in his career than he had last night Three of his 11 catches in his career last night for 129 yards, a touchdown, and you talk about depth mattering. 
Case in point, this is a guy that we've been waiting to come on for a couple of years now. We know what kind of talent he has. We know the skill set he has. We know the speed he has that gives us something that no one else in our roster gives us, at least not to that degree. But unfortunately, the guy has just had a rash of injuries during his time here in Athens. And to see him stick with it and continue to grind. And here's the thing I want to say about Arian too. Anyone that I know, anyone that I talk to that would know these things that's kind of around the program has always gushed about Arian Smith. Heck, Kirby Smart himself has always gushed about Arian Smith and how good of a young man he is, how hard he works, and the kind of teammate he is. So to see him have that kind of success in in that spot, obviously it excites me that his play helped us win this football game, but it also makes me extraordinarily happy to see something good happen to a good dude like that who's just worked hard and put his head down and gone to work and try to get better and get better and better to the point where he was able to come out there and make a major difference in the biggest game of the season to this point. And I'm a believer in Arian Smith. If he can stay healthy, I know it's a big if at this point because he's had those injuries throughout his career, but if he can stay healthy, then this guy has a chance to be a big time player for us next year. I am going to also go with A.D. Mitchell, stick with another receiver. I know his final numbers weren't particularly eye-opening. Only had three catches for 43 yards and a touchdown. It was his first reception since week two, but here's why I'm going to A.D. one of my game balls. He's a difference maker. Again, I know he only had three catches for 43 yards. I understand that. But one of those three catches was for the decisive touchdown. And that was a play in which his ability as a route runner created the separation that allowed Stetson Bennett to hit him in the end zone for that touchdown. One of the things that we've talked about really all season long is outside of Ladd McConkie, we have good receivers. We just don't have those guys that can consistently create separation with their own skill set, right? Ladd's been the only guy at the receiver position that's been able to consistently do that for us all year after AD went down in the first drive of, of game two against Sanford. Well, AD is back. And AD can also create separation with his ability to run routes and just his athleticism, his skill set, his twitchiness in and out of breaks. And that little move he gave the top of the route to get the cornerback leaning inside and quickly broke back outside. Yes, Stetson put it on him. Awesome throw. Great play. But that was a play that AD's route running ability, his ability to create separation, created. He is a difference maker, and I'm not sure he's 100% right now. I think he's as, obviously he's as close as he's been since week two, but it's just awesome to have that guy back out there on the field. I'm also going to throw one more name at you here, Curtis. This is not a player. Um, you can give it to Kirby Smart, the timeout, the greatest timeout in the history of timeouts. You can certainly give it to Kirby Smart. Everything that we do on the field is a reflection of what Kirby Smart has done for this program and the culture that he's built. So you can say Kirby Smart, and I would not argue with you, but I'm also going to go Todd Monk in here. Kurt, think about this. We had our leading receiver out there on one leg who tried to give it a go. Ladd did his absolute best to grit it out and give us everything he possibly could. But I don't want to say he was a non-factor, but he, he wasn't Ladd McConkey out there, not the lad that we've seen all year long. We did not have our starting right tackle, as we mentioned, for a single snap in this game. And then early in the first half, you also have Darnell Washington, who I think is one of the keys to our entire offense and what he allows us to do from a personnel standpoint, playing 12 personnel to where we create mismatches and just his devastation as a blocker, his ability to create mismatches in the passing game. With him going out, 
that changes things for us. Yes, we have Oscar Dub. We have a lot of depth, good depth in the tight end room, but Oscar is not the same player, the same type of player that Darnell is. So we had to adjust our entire scheme on the fly without Darnell being in there. We still ran some 12 personnel. We did not run it near as much as we normally do. And I think it's one of the reasons that we did not run the ball as much in this game, especially as we got later in the second half. Now we were behind, obviously, having to come back and in times of factor, of course, all that factors in as well. But with some of the limitations that Munkin was having to deal with, I think he did an exceptional job calling a flat-out incredible football game. The touchdown run that Stetson had, and that was an absolute clinic of a play call. I mean, he went deep into his toolbox there. You got the motion to pull uh, the DBs, the cornerbacks to the other side of the field, and then you run the sweep. You pull you pull Broderick out there. You have Stetson use his legs. You know, we probably had that in the bag waiting for a while, waiting for the right moment. And last night, by God, it was the right moment. So Todd Munkin, I know this guy gets paid a lot of money, but he is worth every single Penny, I know I've said that multiple times this season, but it was on full display once again last night. But all right, guys, that's all we got for you here with our instant reactions, kind of our, our raw early thoughts on this game. Of course, we'll be back with our mailbag episode here in a couple of days. So whatever questions you've got, anything that you want to talk about coming out of this Peach Bowl victory, any details that we did not get to discuss on this episode, because I know we, didn't, we did not get to everything. We just want to give you our, our instant, quick, raw reactions here. Uh, but anything that you want to talk about, anything leading ahead to the National Championship game against TCU, because guys, we have one heck of a challenge in front of us here. It's kind of scared me a little bit, some of the lack of respect I'm already hearing out there in some circles for for this TCU football team. Guys, I've watched this team as close as I think anybody that's not in the actual TCU fan base has watched this year as I've had a lot of big-time bets on them. I've watched all but one of their games. The only game I did not watch them play this year was when they played Tarleton. So take that for what it's worth. This is a really, really good football team. They got a kind of a team of destiny feel to it, and that kind of scares me. So we can obviously obviously take some questions about that game as well, and then we'll, of course, have a full preview of that game later on this week. So plenty of great stuff coming for you the rest of the week. But how about them dogs? Let's go. For Curtis, I'm Tyler, and as always... Go dogs!